We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Buffalo also made some hires in the front office on Thursday. They named Lake Dawson their assistant director of college scouting. They also hired Marvin Allen and Brian Adams as national scouts. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Bell Report podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer to my right, Chris Kruger. And that was Chris Brown from BuffaloBills.com talking about some of the most recent additions that have been made to our front office. Now, there's been a lot of change around One Bills Drive over the course of the last month and a half. And I mean, it's there's it's just been a whirlwind. And I couldn't think of anybody else to have on tonight to kind of you know kind of talk us through their perspective on it than the BillsWires.com's own Rob Quinn. Rob, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. <laughs> no, dude, the first time it went so well, I was like, we absolutely have to have Rob back. You just have a voice, man. It's it's deep enough. You can you speak well and you speak clearly, and you know what the hell you're talking about. I love it. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> See that I appreciate that. Oh, I'm telling you, the ladies must love it. <laughs> I, I'm. I hope so. It's like a Barry White type <laughs> thing he's got going on. So for those well, not a white, not a Barry White thing. Deep <laughs> voice, Rob's white. You'd have to go with Rick Astley. Rick Astley, <laughs> never gonna give you up. <laughs> Jesus Christ! So, for those of you who aren't familiar with Rob Quinn, Rob Quinn is the managing editor for the Bills Wire, you know, branch of USA Today Sports, and he's a Buffalo native who moved to Florida and is now back again living in the area and writing about the Buffalo Bills. I mean, that's got to be pretty cool, right, Rob? I mean, has it st- has it set in yet that you've actually started to make it in journalism? You know, when you set out to go to college and you went to get the degree and, you know, you started learning about how to do what it is you're currently doing, has it really set in yet that you're actually getting to live what it is that you dreamed about doing? I mean, I started... On August 5th, and it really still hasn't, because when you're taking the classes 
in school, they teach you a whole different thing. And as you all know, it's 2017 and everyone gets their news on social media or Facebook, some, some sort of that. So it's, it's a dream come true, obviously, but it's just different in a sense, I would say, mm-hmm. than your, your old school traditional journalism, like your, your print. Um, cause online you're, you're basement and everything, but you know, <laughs> it's really, it's just really different. And, um, it really hasn't got it. Like I wake up, I get to do, I get to write about the, a passion that I really enjoy and it's just an exciting thing and I, I'm loving it. I'll tell you, we love your passion for it. I love your writing and I went to school for journalism. I've got a degree in it. I, I learned print journalism and I can, I can relate to that. You know, what they teach you in school about old school print journalism does not apply in 2017 for a lot, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, now it's all about visibility. It's all about getting yeah. your name out there so much as, hey, if I put my content in print and it's good, someone will read it. Now you have to be visible. So you guys are constantly grinding around the clock. And like I said, you, you and your team put out a ton of great stuff. Now, I want to touch on one more thing before we move on here, right? I mean, I guess, have you learned and gr- how have you grown from when you started and kind of took over as managing editor to now? I mean, do you think you've learned anything throughout this this process? I learn something new every day because we have um, a Slack group specifically for the NFL Wire sites. I don't know if. Obviously, we're all Bills fans, but there's a site for every single team. And, um, I mean, my boss, they're so supportive. They give me ideas all the time, like ways to get new content. I mean, Cyrus Quanjo was released today. That's something we're going to talk about later, obviously. But he gave me an idea. Hey, why don't you write about five players that got taken after Cyrus Quanjo? And we got 30,000 views on it today Mm -hmm. so it's just little things like that and just like with the draft and like instant analysis and things like that and it's just every day it's something new because i'm working with people i'm blessed to be a young person that got hired while they're people in the network that actually have been credentialed and wrote for print or official websites and so i honestly i go on all the different wire sites daily just to see what they're doing and how I can improve myself on a daily basis. I, th- awesome. I thought your bosses were going to say, here's an idea. How about five other Buffalo Bills that have been found in a field with no pants on? <laughs> that's, how, that's what I want to know. I mean, I want to know. I mean, his vertical at the combine wasn't too high, but to get over an electric fence half nude, I mean, that's impressive. <laughs> and then on, on a bit of a personal note, before we really get into the meat and potatoes of things here. Rob Quinn, folks, just now, he lived here in Buffalo. He moved to Florida for a lot of his childhood, and he's back here in Buffalo. And he just got his first taste of the New York State DMV experience. Rob, what was it like going to get a new ID? You're going to bring this up? You're going to make me bring this up? <laughs> okay, so in a matter of about, I'd say, 16 minutes Going from Walgreens to my apartment, I lost my wallet. I had my ID in there, my bank card, my social security card. Don't, Mom, if you're listening, please don't yell at me for having my social security card in my wallet. <laughs> hey, Rob, I got, my, I got mine in my wallet. Take it out. 
Take it out. Take it out, he says. So apparently in New York State, you need to have six points to get your drivers to get your new ID. Mm -hmm. And um, apparently anything that has your name on it, your that confirms that it's you doesn't count as points unless <laughs> other than a photo ID, which obviously is gone. Which is so, gone. <laughs> so finally I got it uh, yesterday. So my, uh, my last week has been very hectic to say the least. I got to ask how – now you strike me just the way you talk, the way you present yourself. I don't – I don't, I don't know you on that level, but I got you strike me as a guy who probably has a little bit of a, you know, you, you have a, some internal checks and balances. You kind of, you kind of keep yourself even keeled, you know, yeah. it comes to exactly how angry were you standing in the middle of the DMV when they told you that, you, oh, you brought this and you brought this and that, but we don't care. <laughs> I, br- I brought a backpack with my birth certificate, four bank statements. An employee ID, everything that ever was in my life with my name on it. I had two photo IDs that they said counted as points, but I needed the bank card, which was missing. So I had a temporary card, so I couldn't do anything. So then I go to the bank because I don't have a bank card, and I have to write out a check, and my friend's name is Liam. We call him Liam. His name is William. Mm-hmm. So they weren't going to cash a check because it was Liam. So it's been a stressful week. <laughs> Rob, you know what, man? Have a beer. You've earned it. You've earned it by <laughs> navigating for the first time the New York State DMV process. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, I, I understand why Florida – I told you. I said I, I know why everyone gets their identity stolen in Florida now because I could go – I literally went on the Florida DMV. If I still live there, I could just type in my name. And have four of them mailed to me. So, <laughs> Well, at least there's some comfort in that, knowing that New York State's at least looking out for us in that fashion. Yeah. So moving on to talk about Bill's stuff. First and foremost, questions i got to ask you about everything that's been going on. First off, front office hires. I mean, the overall feel around the writing community, do you think it's been positive or negative when it comes to the hires of, you know, Brandon Bean, uh, Gain, and Shane. Um, honestly, I haven't been reading a lot of other people's opinions mm-hmm. except for my own. Well, and even um, within your own crew, like what is it? Well, what has been the overall feel within you and your group over there, who specifically focus on writing about the bills? Yeah, so I'm 25, so I don't have a lot of exp- of optimism as others do until the hiring of Brandon Bean, until the hiring of uh, Gain, until the hiring of the new National Scouts. It just seems like the Pagulas are finally getting their feet wet. They understand what's going on. I'm not a hockey fan, but I know that they fired their GM and their coach. And for once, it really seems like they actually know what's going on they all have familiarity with Brandon Bean. And what was most impressive to me um, about Brandon Bean hiring Gain is that that was somebody that was interviewing for his job. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's somebody that's going to be watching mm-hmm. over his shoulder like, oh, my, if I do this, I can get fired and he's going to take my job. And 
backstab me. It seems like it's a collaborative effort all around. Which is so something I'm that, really optimistic about it. Well, yeah, and, I was going to say, it seems like that, that feels like something that our front office has been missing for a while. Exactly. I mean, it they seems t- like going back to when Whaley was, was hired, it just seemed like it was everyone was out for themselves and looking out for their own job. And now it seems like, you know what? The, Brandon Bean said himself that, hey, these guys are future GMs and I'm going to get them there. Yep. So that's, I mean, that's great for me. I mean, if the, if it if it's two years, that's that's sad. But at the same time, they're collectively working together. There's not going to be an infighting. Obviously, there will be infighting at some point because there always isn't any type of business. But at the same on the same note, I mean, if you look at the the national scouts, that's like they have like 58 years combined of experience. Um, I mean, they they put. In my opinion, I think they have one of the top ten front offices on paper in the NFL right now. That's that's a bold statement, but I'll tell you, I, I feel as a as a season ticket holder and as just a fan, I feel like I was I was watching this whole process play out and expecting the worst because that's typically what happens. Mm-hmm. But you look at the amount of just sheer experience and professionalism. That's the other thing that I think that we're seeing. You know, in the intro, we talked about Chris Brown reading off the names of the guys who we just hired to serve as scouts and directors of scouting and national scouts. These guys all, if you look them up and you read about their history, they all have a history of not only being good at what they do, but professionalism. Exactly. I mean, look at Malik Boyd. The new director of pro personnel. He was the 2014 um, Pollard Scout of the Year, I want to say. Yep. Um, then you have Lake Dawson. That they probably put together one of the best front offices that the NFL that they could have in the NFL. All right. So, Rob, another thing I got to ask you about. You recently now I saw that I've seen that you've started to dabble in the world of podcasting. <laughs> what is it that got you to? I don't know. Just decide to take things in that direction. You know what? You know, obviously you're a writer. What is it that got you in front of the microphone and really got you to start you know, trying to make a podcast for the Bills Wire? It's a rock pile report. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, um, I'm a writer. I want to. I'm trying to teach myself um, Premiere Pro. I, I want to be able to learn how to do everything. Really, because you, in the media age, you saw how Twitter blew up. You saw how podcasts are blowing up. And everything and everything's di- di- digital based now, so I'm terrible at it. <laughs> if you've ever listened to them as a host, but um, I mean, I just figured you know we could have some members of the staff on. If I can get a couple players on, just anybody that's has a big Twitter follow following that maybe Bills fans don't know about to get a different perspective, then I'd like to just have them on. I mean, I don't like. I don't do them like every week or so, but like if I feel like talking about something that I feel should be talked about, I'd like to get another perspective or something like that. So I'm just trying to, you know, spread my wings a little bit and learn (laughs) as much as I can as fast as I can. Well, I'll tell you, you definitely, uh, you definitely took a jump here. What you recently did an interview on your, I think it was your last podcast or maybe the one before that with Lorenzo Alexander. Yeah, the last day of the draft, right after uh, Tanner Vallejo got drafted because the Bills were done. So now I got to ask, what is it like to be on there? Because, I mean, we talked to Reed. You know, we have Reed Ferguson. He's a friend of the show. He comes on quite often. 
What's it like to talk to a guy, though? Because when I see Lorenzo Alexander, when I hear him talk on radio interviews, when I hear him on podcasts, he's an intense dude. He really is. But <laughs> the thing in- was, is our relationship started because I, I, I just tweeted him when um, – it was during the preseason. Remember when he got that sack against the Redskins? That was a penalty. Yeah. So I had the video and I tweeted him and with the video saying, how is this a penalty? And he followed me. So I DM'd him like probably a couple of months later and said like during training camp and said, hey, um, starting a podcast with Bill's Wire. Um, with USA Today Sports Media Group, if you if you'd be interested in coming on, I'd love to have you. And he responded five minutes later and was like, "Yeah, absolutely, no problem." So, um, I mean, he's he's an awesome person. Like I was expect, I've done a few interviews with, with a couple other like undrafted free agents and a, a few like lo- lower name Bills players, but. I mean, he is a guy that has a great head on his shoulders, and he understands what it takes. And the draft was still going on while we were talking, and it was right after his kids' flag football game. <laughs> and um, so those ki- they were running around in the background. That's it was awesome. On Google Google Hangouts. So that's awesome. We're talking to them, and there's like two kids just running in the running around in circles. <laughs> He's a family man. Gotta love it. Yeah, exactly. And then I was like, so the Bills just drafted two linebackers um, in the fifth round and the sixth round. And he's like, he's like, great. I love it. And I'm going to take him under my wing and I'm going to teach him importance of special teams because that's how you stay in the league. He goes, I'm 34 years old. I know I don't have a lot of time left. Um, talk, to, talk to him about him because he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. And he played – Defensive tackle. He's guard. played defensive tackle, tight end. He's he he he's is the he's the he ultimate played, he Swiss Army knife. Safety and corny. Yeah, and, and corner. I mean, he literally is a Swiss Army knife. When you think about what you want a football player to be, he'll do anything he's told because he knows he's athletic enough to do it. And if he's not, he'll get there. He really does. I mean, he's a coach's wet dream, and I can see why a guy like Sean McDermott looks at a guy like him and says, "Hey, I want him around." I want him here because he's he's good for the locker room. He's good for the team. I mean, guys, for any of you out there who want to hear it, Rob, they can find it on iTunes, right? The- it's on iTunes and SoundCloud as well. Oh, perfect. So, guys, go check go check out Rob's interview. And with- it's not only about the draft either. I mean, we talked about some – he wouldn't say Rex Ryan's name, cause he, but um, he did talk about Jerry Hughes. He guaranteed that he's having a 50 50- sack season he said oh Shaq Lawson is going to be a completely different player um, he talked about basically he ba- there was a quote that he said basically last year we were doing too much we switched up the scheme towards the end of the year and if you want to come at me on Twitter and argue about me playing off the ball then go get Go buy your all twenty-two and watch what I was doing last year <laughs> in the last six games. He and because I he actually was playing, some... he was playing strong side linebacker, and that's what people don't understand. And he and he was given all the credit to Jerry Hughes. He said Jerry Hughes he didn't have the numbers that we saw and were expecting, but Hughes was essentially playing a five or a three technique for most of the time. 
So he said that all of, most of his, he said that the, in reviewing film that at least six of his sacks were as a result of Jerry Hughes being on the interior defensive line and he was able to clean up. No, nah, so I mean there's the, a lot of good nuggets in there if you guys want to check that out. Oh, absolutely. Guys, go check it out. So, now as we do every week, we're going to move straight on into our weekly Bills news update. Talking about the Buffalo Bills, a lot's kind of a lot's gone on this week and it's only been a couple days. Roster moves and free agency visits. First and foremost, Gerald Hodges and Andrew Gotchkar both visited the team. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about on this show how Gerald Hodges seemed like a decent fit for what I perceive to be a hole at the weak side linebacker position. I don't think we're deep at it. I don't think we have adequate talent there to roll into the season with. So I'm happy to see that the guys at One Bills Drive on some level must agree. Otherwise, neither one of these guys would be here. Now... In terms of Gerald Hodges, he showed well last year. It was the first time he really saw significant playing time since he was drafted in the fourth round by the Vikings in 2013. He was Pro Football Focus's 12th best run defender and 21st overall most efficient linebacker. He showed speed to cover in the passing game and efficiency when it came to tackling. I mean, he didn't, no one really could break tackles from this guy. I think that he would. He would be an absolute upgrade over Ramon Humbert. But the fact that he hasn't been drafted, uh, drafted, excuse me, the fact that he hasn't been signed to a contract at this point, I don't know. It makes me wonder if this isn't kind of a Zach Brown-esque kind of situation. You know, maybe the player has sort of priced himself higher than teams are willing to spend, given that he has a very small sample size when it comes to true production at a starter's level. I mean, I'm a fan of a signing for Gerald Hodges if it gets done. We likely won't know for more than a few days, though, because he's got a meeting set up with the New York Giants. I mean, Rob, what do you think about Gerald Hodges as a player and as an addition to this football team? I was a huge fan of him coming out um, in the draft, and I've been writing about him as every free agent, uh, every article that I've published of free agents that the Bills should be targeting, Gerald Hodges has been a part of them. Um, I think he, like you said, fills the weak side linebacker void completely. He's got the speed, the athleticism, the run and chase ability. Um, he could fill, he could fight through traffic. And like you said, he hasn't really gotten a chance. But then when you look at the Minnesota Vikings um, <laughs> linebacker depth chart, they're he, really, he really couldn't, they're stacked. So he really couldn't get on, he really couldn't get on the field. But um, I think he has the athleticism where you can do it. And like you said, with Zach Brown, it could be a situation where he's where a camp injury happens and you could bring him in on a low one year prove it deal. And I just I, I think that he would be a fantastic addition. I mean, I know we've heard that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean say that Preston Brown or Le, that Leslie Frazier, I'm sorry, say that uh, Reggie Ragland and Preston Brown could both be on the field at the same time. But honestly, I don't. I mean, Preston Brown was good playing weak side linebacker. I think he was the number three coverage linebacker by Pro Football Focus that year under Jim Schwartz. But on the same note, I don't. I mean, you, you, we, we've seen the Carolina Panthers defense, 
and they mm-hmm. drafted Shaq Thompson for a reason. They drafted Luke Keekley for a reason. Mm-hmm. He knows AJ what linebacker talent looks like, and I just I think that this is a guy who can he can he can ball. That's what he he can ball. He's been overlooked. He was underdrafted. You know, I think he went a lot lower in the draft than he than I think he should have gone. And I think that he's kind of floated on the league looking for a chance to compete. Yeah, and then with San Francisco last year, they, he was in a 3-4 where he was even miscast, really, yep. positional, positionally-wise, and he still played well. No, so, no, no, you're, you're, you're right. You hit the nail on the head. He's playing in a defense that really doesn't feature a, a true f- – I think at his core, Gerald Hodges is a true 4-3 outside linebacker. Which the Bills obviously lack, and I really think that, say, like in today's NFL, I mean, you have your weak side and your Sam and everything, but you see the personnel shifts. I mean, you watch the Patriots and Tom Brady's out there just running Julian Edelman across, running forties across the field yep. and snapping the ball before the Bills can get set. So you you can't really have a specific label for Sam or Will or You need linebackers with speed. That. And the problem is yep. that our defense doesn't have a lot of that right now. Exactly. He would be he and Matt Milano might end up being the fastest linebackers on this team at that <laughs> right. camp. And then the other the, the other uh, visit we had Andrew Gotchkar. Now this guy they kicked the tires on him. He's been in the league for six years. He's mainly been a special teamer throughout his career. He's played for San Diego and he's played for Dallas. His claims to fame are that last season, when he was called upon, he didn't miss a single tackle on defense. And he has the speed to be a major factor on special teams. I mean, the guy ran a, what was it, a 4-5-40 as pro day? He would project, if signed, as a solid special teams contributor who, in a drastic pinch, might provide you with some upside playing defense. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I could see why you would want a guy like that on your roster. I think that they're hedging their bets, though, on Gerald Hodges. It makes me nervous. I really hope the Hodges deal gets done because I think that that could be a boon for our defense. But at the same time, given the fact that he's still got other visits planned, especially with teams like the Giants, you're talking about a playoff contender. You know, I know fans want to say, oh, well, you know, fans feel snubbed when a player comes here and visits and then signs with another team. But, but for a guy who's looking on a one-year prove-it deal – wouldn't he want all the exposure he can get? Exactly. I look, look what Zach Brown just signed for. Exactly. So. I wouldn't fault him for going over there, and I wouldn't fault him for going over to the Giants if he does. I would love him here, but I wouldn't be shocked to see him sign elsewhere. Speaking of signings, Rod Streeter, everybody. Woo! The illustrious Rod Streeter. Okay. <laughs> When word broke that we were bringing in Rod Streeter for a visit, I saw all kinds of bullshit on social media. I, I'm talking people talking about how his signing must mean he's a wide receiver. For those of you out there who don't know his name, I wouldn't be shocked if he didn't. Hey, he's Andre Holmes, buddy. <laughs> people were out there on social media talking about how his signing must mean that Sammy isn't going to be healthy that Zay Jones' injury was more serious than the team was letting on, blah, 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 blah. Now that we've signed him, I'd like to say this to try to calm everyone's nerves. Goose fraba. Just Worst just, case scenario, Sammy's not healthy enough for OTAs and Zay's knees hurt and you need another wide receiver to get the, three, to get the third team reps. Best <laughs> case scenario, he makes the team. 
He's 29 years old. Big dude. I mean, he's not a world beater by any means. We all know that. But it's training camp. I know that you saw the new cut-down rules mm-hmm. where it's 90 to you 53. You 90 to 53. So, I mean, anybody complaining about Rod Streeter because of Sammy Watkins or Jay jo- Zay Jones being injured – well, I think These it's more need reps. I think what it is is it's Every more of a sense of panic among the fan base because yeah. they see and it's that understandable. They, they see it. And they're like, oh, my God, we're signing another wide receiver. Oh, oh what if what if Zay's not going to be available? What if they're signing him to fill his spot? Let, let, let me let me wrap with you for a second. Twenty eight catches, two hundred and eighty three yards and three touchdowns. Rob, would you agree with me that 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 sounds like a decent a decent season for a fifth wide receiver or fourth wide receiver on an NFL football team, right? Absolutely, especially when behind Sammy Watkins and Zay Jones, you have Andre Holmes. Um, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. But here's my point. Those statistics are what Streeter accomplished in his last three NFL seasons. Yeah, so it's, it's a camp body. He's, he's never done anything. I'm, I'm sorry. He is not the guy that you sign to fill a Zay Jones size hole. You don't no, do a that. A Sammy Watkins size hole. Oh, <laughs> you don't. You don't do that. Yeah. So Rod Str- I mean, my take on all of this, my takeaway from his signing is that the team during the rookie minicamp and during recent practices has gotten a look at their wide receiver depth chart. I think this is more an indictment of Colby Lissenby's health. Maybe, maybe there's some doubt there that, hey, maybe Colby won't be available this year. Who knows? They're not happy with what they're seeing on the field out of the guys who are there, so we're going to throw another body at the position. I mean, that's I, – I honestly believe that that's what's led to this. And for everyone out there who's panicking, just, just cool your jets. Come on. Calm down now. It's May. It's oh. May. <laughs> <laughs> it's too early to hit the panic button on anything. Right. I mean, we, we've seen them – making releases and signings already. I mean, they're just going through and seeing who can fit. If you're going to play, you, it's OTA still. So they're making decisions quick. And if, if you can do it, you can do it. If you pick up the playbook and learn it and, and do it, then you, you can stick around. If not, see ya. Well, like, and speaking of see ya, that brings me to my next point. Way to set me up. See, you're good at this podcasting shit. Come on, man. I'm give, working on it. Give I'm yourself some it. credit. It's because of you. Thank you. Cyrus Quanjo has been released. <laughs> Today, the Buffalo Bills parted ways with former Alabama offensive tackle Cyrus Quanjo, who was and a, you're a Bama fan too. Oh, dude, it broke my heart, and I got I was getting roasted on Facebook Messenger. On Twitter, oh, it's fucking brutal. I had to go delete so many tweets today. <laughs> now, I'll say this about Cyrus Quanjo. Well, Venus he, de Milo. Well, he didn't exactly live up to his draft position. I will say that it's not completely his fault. He was a left tackle by trade throughout his collegiate career. Who, I mean, first they drafted him in the second round and then tried to push him to play right tackle. Now, Eric Turner from CoverOne.net and I have had a lot of conversations about mechanics when it comes to playing offensive line there's a difference between your pivot foot you know your just how you it's almost like basketball yeah but at the same time there's a plant foot and then there's how you mirror off of that and with his knee i mean he came into the draft with a knee problem Mm -hmm. 
So if you looked at that knee and you said, okay, that's the knee that they're expecting him to plant on and move, he's never yeah. going to be fast enough coming off that knee to play right tackle. But the team tried to put him there. And as a rookie, if you remember in training camp, Santrell Henderson, he couldn't beat out Santrell. No. Then they bring in Jordan Mills, who we all love dearly. <laughs> oh, yeah. And wow. Deion Dawkins is drafted. The guy's taken in for a mental evaluation after going over an electric fence. Well, and that's so, and that's I my mean, thing. there's a lot of layers to it. And he, like you said, with the with with the um the, the pivot leg, he's out of position. Yeah. And he, I mean, it w- it was a Doug Whaley pick, and it's sad. I loved Quanjo. I loved Cam Robinson. I love all Alabama offensive linemen, but at the same time. I think that it was just his time. I I honestly believe that you saw how he played at right tackle. I mean, left tackle last year when he filled yeah. in for Cordy Glenn, he did pretty well, which almost guarantees. I, I mean, I feel like you know what this move is to me. I, I I hate to call it a mercy killing, but I think it's one of those things where they looked at Cyrus Quandro and they said, okay, he's not healthy right now. He, he he's still rehabbing. He'll be around for training camp though. But we don't see a place for him on this line. Exactly. So, Especially with them moving over to the more zone blocking side. Yeah, exactly. So they're looking at it from a standpoint of, hey, we want tackles that can get out in space. We want tackles that are athletic. This is a guy who we don't think can do what we can do, what we want. Let's cut him now. Let's give him six weeks for him and his agent to start working the phone so that he can fight. Because some team will br- – yeah, He started it. NFL games last year. Some team will put him on their on their training camp 90-man roster, and he'll get a shot at it. You know what I mean? And, and you can't ask for anything more than that as a player to say, hey, a new staff, a GM who didn't draft me, a coach who didn't have anything to do with, my, with me being here, a new scheme that I'm not a fit for – I mean, I, I get it. He was a disappointment early on. I think he flashed last year as someone who has potential. I think the Bills are actually doing right by him, by cutting him now. I was just about to say the same thing before you said that, because it's OTAs, and they can get it. he can get signed on with another team before it's too late. They're not screwing him over. They're saying, hey, you're not a fit. Um. We're going in a different direction. We just used a second-round pick on Deion Dawkins. There's not room for you on the roster. What I'm interested is in is this, the Henderson situation. But at the same time, it's like with Cyrus Quanjo, you're not a fit. You're not taking over Cordy Glenn's spot, and you're not going to be as good as Cordy Glenn is. And we have a future uh, right tackle that we just drafted. So what – what yeah. more is there that we can do for you? We have a swing tackle already on the roster that we just drafted yeah, highly. Yeah, Groy, too. So, yeah, exactly. Groy can fit. And that's the thing. We have depth on our offensive line now. It's I think it's best for both player and team. It's like, it reminds me of the Langston Walker and, and the Langston Walker days. It's that, it's that great. Now, but, but that being said, as an Alabama alumni, allow me to pour some beer out for my homie. That's right. I just poured beer on Chris's kitchen floor. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm going to have to swifter that. <laughs> and, and while it's not worth releasing a player for, I heard something else this week. 
that definitely raised my eyebrows a little bit. Now, during an interview with <laughs> during an interview with BuffaloBills.com, brand new free agent signing Jordan Poyer had this to say about his chicken wing preferences. I'm going hot, but y'all y'all might think I'm different. See. The blue cheese isn't for me, though. I, I'm more of the, the ranch guy, and I know a lot All of people right. are going to be on my head about that because I asked for blue cheese one time at a wing spot, and they, were, <laughs> they about laughed at me. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely more of a ranch guy, but I love my hot wings, too. You know that's very unpopular here in Buffalo, right? I know, it's, I know, I know you're I, ready I, for I had it. To get it out, I had to get it out there, man. So, so whenever whenever I go to a wing spot now, y'all don't start laughing at me every time I ask for ranch instead of blue cheese. All right, at least you're owning it. Yeah, I had to own it. Ranch? What? What? Oh, I feel like Little John and that Chappelle. Who what? You feel like what? You feel like what? Little John. Who what? Like Little John. Who what? <laughs> Who well, he, what? It, at least he admitted in the clip that he knows he's wrong. Oh, I will level with you people. Okay, whoever's no, listening you, to this, you, I am an absolute whore for condiments. Okay, yes. I love them. I literally can't function without them. I keep more condiments in Chris's fridge here at his apartment than I than he does most weeks. Let's not go. Let's not forget our uh, pregame for our podcast. Drew comes to my apartment, brings a pizza. He had a slice of pizza before we started podcasting. He put on there it's just cheese and pepperoni. That's what he gets, and then he added Parmesan cheese, hot sauce, blue cheese dressing, uh, and jalapenos. Jalapenos and a little bit of garlic delicious. seasoning. Is that enough of, condiments? No, I, I it sounds I, delicious. Got to kick it up a notch. So, but so, Jordan Poyer, if you're listening, I hope you are. Get some blue cheese, man. I don't know what it would take for me to voluntarily choose I ranch said, over I love blue how cheese. He said I will get hot though three times just to back himself up. <laughs> he get, he thought the hot would would, would somehow yeah, get him. I, I eat hot wings. Well, I'm going to put a ranch on it. Now, now, let me ask you, Rob. You've spent a lot of time living outside of the city and the state. Is having an unhealthy obsession with blue cheese just a buffalo thing, or is it just associated with wings? <laughs> What's your take right. on that? So there, was a, there was a restaurant, Brews Room. The guy was from Buffalo. I've been there. Oh, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. The best wing, the only spot in, so- in South Florida where you can get yes. my, decent my, wings. My aunt lives in Deerfield Beach. I've been, oh my goodness! I've been, I've been so to Bruce. I've went, been to Bruce Room. Yeah, the only spot where you can get a decent chicken wing in South Florida, and you got to have the blue cheese, man. <laughs> you uh, Jordan Poyer, you you got you got to run some gassers, dude. You got to run some gassers for that terrible statement. As yeah. go, going to uh, Hudson Grill in uh, Atlanta for. Um, for the Bills games, I would typically they would have wing deals on Sundays for the Bills game, and I would order give me the chicken wing special, and then the waitress would say, "Would you like blue cheese or ranch?" And then I would yell at them. I would be like, "If yes, I was Russ, if I was Russ, who was the manager, if I was Russ, I would fire you on the spot for asking me a ridiculous question like that. The answer is blue cheese, blue cheese only. If somebody says ranch in this building, you throw them out. Not allowed. I need a ten piece, and I need and I and I need three blue cheese. So Jordan Poyer, 
you, you got a lot to prove in training camp now. Oh, my God. Yeah, he does. I hope, I mean. Jamil Gary's coming for you. I don't even know if if, uh, if anybody on the team has even uh, taken him to any uh, wing spots around Buffalo, whether it's. I'm still waiting on Adolphus. Oh, yes, that's right. Adolphus Washington still owes you chicken wings. Wait, hashtag wings for Rob. We forgot about that. I didn't forget about it. Well, well, I mean, A, you were just taking a leak, but yeah, maybe that maybe we could have that. Poyer and Adolphus Washington. And Poyer pays. Poyer, Adolphus Washington, Rob, and I are all going to try to get wings together. That's that's my end game before the end of summer. Yeah. Rob, you in? I'm in. <laughs> if Adolphus would like to answer any of my DMs, he follows me still. All right. He doesn't want it. he doesn't want free wings. Oh, you you heard that, folks. We got to let him hear it. We're, we're going to put his Twitter handle in the notes after today's show. You got to get at him. Let him know you want to hear him get on board with I'm gonna us. I'm going to buy him a 50 piece. <laughs> there see there we go. How can you turn He's that a down? Big boy. So, moving on. One of the last bits of news. Now, over the weekend Doug Whaley went on serious radio. Speaking publicly for the first time since being fired by the by the team. I'm oh. disappointed that that audio could not have been found anywhere on the internet. <laughs> it's serious radio, man. They locked their stuff down. Well, they do have a SoundCloud account. But but having said that, Chris is going to play Doug Whaley for us tonight as we go through some of these quotes because a lot has been made here in the local media about some of his comments, particularly those about the lack of winning and you know the draft process. But there were a few quotes that stuck out to me that I feel like haven't gotten enough press. And so I want to talk about them. First and foremost, Whaley's quote on Mike Gillisley and the state of the New England Patriots. Chris, read it off for me. They know they have a couple of years left with Brady, so they're going all in. And what they can do now is they can be really selective about who they bring in. They can bring in complimentary pieces that they just use as a brush. We look at it as we got a guy off the street, got production out of him, and we were able to get a fifth-round pick for him. They're looking at it as we can use him in a specialty role and pay him $4 million. They have the luxury to overpay certain people. They may not use him as a number one back or a number two back all year. He may be inactive, but there are certain game plans which Belichick is very, very good at developing game plans for mismatches mismatches and personnel he has the luxury of uh now having 12 having 12 and having him take less money so they can have money to overpay certain positions and certain people that are just going to be uh specialty items like specially specialty items running back i'm gonna assume maybe maybe somebody like jonas gray (laughs) where uh gillies will rip off 200 and then get cut rob what were you gonna say i said the specialty item that was the most efficient running back in the league that we couldn't match the offer because <laughs> this man put us in the cap situation oh, exactly. where they are today. No, now, it, on the other side of the argument, I mean, you don't want to have $12, $13 million locked up in a running back per year, but, I mean, you could have put a second-round tender on him if you wanted him. Well, exactly. If they had really wanted him, they could have put a second-round tender on him. It was only a million dollars. The fact that they didn't means that Whaley saw him as bait. 
He saw him as bait. He saw his depleted draft coming up this year and said, hey, I'm going to try to make up for this. Now, when what I mean, his statement there pretty much mirrors the sentiment that we had on here when we talked about the, the Gillies situation before the draft. Meanwhile, most of the Bills fans out there were losing their minds over this shit. I mean, he turned a cheap, a cheap free agent running back into draft capital. That has to be considered a win. It has to. You didn't pay him any significant dollars, and you got a crack at getting a cheaper player to play another position, possibly even but, find a starter for your football team. You got another. What you got was another lottery ticket. You got another lottery but, ticket towards finding a great player for essentially what was a free agent signing. If my my only question is, if you watched Mike Gillisley's tape from last year, mm-hmm. is he getting drafted in the fifth round? No, he's not. But we have LaShawn McCoy. We have another running back named Jonathan Williams, who everyone seems to forget is even here. Who, no, when no he was healthy, was a great football player. I mean, he he didn't play a lot last year. Well, no, because he's bigger than the, the depth chart. Million is the big issue. But at the same time, I just think that's Whaley trying to cover his back with that comment. Well, you could say that, but now when he t- when he moves on to his comment of he has that luxury now, knowing that he has uh, the, he has the luxury of having number twelve and having him take less money so that they have money to overpay certain positions, that hits the nail on the head. Tyrod took a ten million dollar pay cut. Look, Tyrod took a ten million dollar pay cut, but don't ever confuse Tyrod Taylor for Tom Brady. I would never. I'm okay. just saying. That so I think he nails it on the head. That their, their team has unique flexibility, something that no other franchise in football has. You look at the Saints. The Saints have a quarterback who is whose salary is literally dragging the team down with him. You look at the Ravens. The Ravens have a quarterback who is making a ton of money, and it's hurting their ability to field a consistently competitive team. You look at the Patriots, and you see probably the greatest quarterback of all time constantly taking pay cuts. I mean, not literal pay cuts, because eventually the bonus money will pay out. And he, But as far as the salary cap is concerned, he's constantly taking less money to free up his team to have a ton of space. That's the, And they happen to have one of the best coaches of all time. You put those two things together, and they have a recipe to where you're right. They can throw $4 million at a running back who may see 10 carries some weeks. Other weeks, yeah. he may see uh, 25. You don't know. But they have that luxury because they have a Hall of Fame first ballot quarterback who isn't breaking their salary cap. No, I, I, I'm not arguing that. I, I just think that there's two ways that can – that you can interpret it because you could have put the second round tender on him if you really wanted to get that draft capital. Gillisley, obviously, I know we know about Jonathan Williams and hopefully that he pans out. I know they got the fifth round pick for him and they got him for nothing in um, in Gillisley, obviously. And they have LaShawn McCoy, so he would have been a backup. But at the same on the same note, I mean, I just think that you it could have been gone about differently and that really, I mean, he's not going to be inactive. 
He's not going to be a, a number two. I mean, they signed Rex Burkhead. <laughs> they signed Rex Burkhead. <laughs> you think Rex you Burkhead think- is going to start over Mike Gillisley? Hang on. Can, can I just bring up the fact that you just said Rex Burkhead's name and I forgot that he was an NFL football player? I don't even know who that is. <laughs> Oh, that speaks to your level of professionalism and my lack of give a fuck about whatever the Patriots do. Jesus Christ. Seriously, I mean, I mean, like, I, I respect what, what he had to say about the, them getting him off the street and for nothing and, then and getting a lot a of production pick. out of it. And then but turning the, him into a pick. That's the important thing here, Rob. He got a pick. We got Nathan Peterman. Okay, so who, so so Nathan Peterman. I'm not a fan of. <laughs> oh, you and Nate, you and Nate Geary would butt heads over this, but I'll tell you, you've. I, I will say this though: it doesn't matter because it's another lottery ticket. What have the Patriots always succeeded off of? Was their lottery? They always had more draft capital because they constantly trade back. They got Derek T- Rivers and who else this year? Derek Rivers. Um, uh, they got a Antonio Gar- Antonio Garcia. He, yeah, a tackle. He, they're the only two of note. Those are the only two guys that I know of. Exactly. So, I mean, I'm just saying, if the Bills are a run-first team, I would like to have Mike Gillisley over Jonathan Williams. All right. That's fair. That is fair. One of the other comments that I, I, I liked was his take on Sean McDermott. Chris, mm-hmm. do us the honors. I'll tell you this much. The guy's methodical, like Chuck Norris. He didn't say it with Chuck Norris. <laughs> well, I mean, when you say methodical, it's Chuck Norris. Okay, I'll tell you this much. The guy's methodical. The one thing that really impressed us during the interview process is how detailed he is and methodical in his approach to everything he does. The one thing I, ve- I feel very comf- confident that the Buffalo Bills, he will have them in position to win a lot of games. They won't be beating themselves. You will have them prepared as well as any coach in the NFL, and the game won't be determined on them beating themselves because he will have them prepared. Now, can I say that that is some fucking shade he is throwing? He sneaked this in Rex so hard. (laughs) I mean, it's hard not to imagine, though, that he would not have good things to say. You know, first off, that he wouldn't have anything that he would have anything bad to say about McDermott because he was involved with the hiring process. If he ever wants to be a GM again, he can't exactly come out and admit that, hey, I I picked this guy, but he also kind of sucks. <laughs> he can't do that. It would be a bad look for him. Yeah. But his comments absolutely sound to me like an indictment of his feelings towards the guy who pretty much ruined his last two seasons here. He sounded like he was in a cry. I was listening to the interview. It was so sad. <laughs> I mean, let's take a look at this. First and foremost, Rex Ryan's communication issues were well documented. Plays not getting called in on time. Just lazy game planning. You know, delay we of games. Delay of game the calls. The Miami Christmas Eve game. The uh, Ajayi oh run. The Ajayi run when we didn't have enough in men over, on the field. Yeah, in overtime. <laughs> well, no, that's it. Obvious confusion. You're bring this up. It's, it's been like six months. I thought the rule was over. No, nope. I'm ripping the scab off. Obvious confusion <laughs> on the field. You're talking about two, sometimes too many men, sometimes too few men. Sometimes you had players who weren't even looking at the line of scrimmage when the ball got snapped. Christ. All right, I'm done. I'm back. I'm opening another beer. Goose Rob. Yeah, Marshall Darius. He's opening <laughs> like a, a linebacker. Opening another beer time. that's 8.5% alcohol. I'm opening another beer, and I'm, I'm taking a deep breath. Essentially, what I take from that comment is that 
he's proud of what he did in helping to hire Sean McDermott because he looked he he got to see firsthand what it's like when you have a coach who doesn't communicate well, who doesn't plan, who isn't a worker. You know, Lex, Rex Ryan was notoriously lazy as a coach. You know, he thought that charisma was going to get him by through everything. Mm-hmm. You know, when I heard that we signed Rex Ryan, I was excited because I'm like, I can't wait to hear this guy on the radio every Monday. This is yeah. going to be great. But as a football coach, he never brought the type of cohesion that a football team needs in order to be successful. He brought, it was like you're going to the bar with your buddies and you call your best friends. That, that was the staff that he put together. You have Ed Reed as your, second, as your coach and your brother as your, your quote-unquote <laughs> defensive coordinator. I mean, it was, it was just – it was and just and the by all of brothers, yeah. By all and by all accounts, it was chaos behind closed doors. Like it was just, yeah. Trust, so yeah. so hearing him talk about it in that light and talk about how McDermott's going to be a breath of fresh air. I can't wait to see it now. He's actually got me excited for this season. You know, which a lot of people look at with doom and gloom, but you have to be excited to see what a new coach can do to this roster because before that we had a top three defense. You know, yeah, before Rex Ryan know, got here, we the, had the, the, the pieces. MMQB article on Sports, Illust- on Sports Illustrated's MMQB, and Brandon Bean and McDermott apparently watched most of the practices from last year, mm-hmm. and he was livid. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. He said he was livid, and he's never seen anything as unorganized as that. Well, did we and- practice with the um- – what was it? Two years ago, we practiced with, Doug with the Rohn playing center. No, we practiced with the Steelers two years ago before oh, our preseason yeah. game against him. And the comments after the game from all of the coaching staff—I mean, not after the game, but after the practices—from all the coaching staff, they said, "Oh, we're we're just amazed by how organized and how on top of things the Steelers seem." No shit, because they're a well-run team. Yeah, they have a coach who knows what the hell he's doing. It's to hearing that type of shit just makes my blood boil. Ooh. But I mean, I, I I like it. I mean, just to just to have this front office and a coach. Like my favorite thing about them is that they they started. I think Bean started 19 years ago, and he's 39 or 40, and he started in the media relations department and worked his way all, all the way up. Um, McDermott started as a scouting assistant. They moved all the way up, so from position coach, and now he's a head coach. And so they've been around it with that Andy Andy Reid coaching tree, who's one of the most – we can laugh at him being the Kool-Aid man forever, but at the same <laughs> time, I mean – He's like, a big boy. He's seen how, how things are supposed to be run, and there's nothing more you can ask right now. I mean – Training camp hasn't started, so we haven't seen the practices and how they're going to be run or organized or any of that. But at the same time, on the same note, when you hear Whaley, who just was fired by these people, to come out and actually give a compliment about it, you have to respect that. Oh, you have to. And and that's one of the many reasons that Bills fans should be excited. Not to mention the fact that, and obviously the famous draft comments he made about the extra picks and everything else. I just feel like Doug Whaley, at the end of the day and at the end of his tenure, I'm sure this will be the last time that I talk about him. So I just want to go on record and say that yeah, I he's think... He's not getting another job. There's a, I, I was actually working on, right before Brandon Bean 
got hired, we were working on an article about the pros and cons of hiring a first-time GM or a sec- or someone that's done it before. And the past five years has been three. Oh, all right. So it's not there's not a huge market for that. No, if you screw up once, it's over. Well, I'll tell you this. Doug Whaley, if this is the last time I ever talk about him, this is what I'll say about the guy. <laughs> I respect him. And the yeah. reason I respect him is because, yeah, he may have had his faults. He may have not drafted all that well, but he did some things really well. Yeah. And I think that he showed class at the end of the day by going onto the radio. And, again, he had nothing but good things to say about his former team. Mm-hmm. You can say that a lot of that's self-serving. You can say that it's, you know, oh, well, he, you know, he didn't want to trash his former employer because he wants to get a job somewhere else. Ultimately, I never hated Doug Whaley. I questioned some of his decisions, but I never had a, a hatred for the guy. And so because of that, I hope that he does well, and I hope that he lands somewhere because the guy can scout. Yeah, The guy showed an ability to he, scout. I think he could be a personnel director somewhere because it's like the Peter principle. Um, you get too high, and you just can't do the job. And, you know, that's what he did. Like, look at it. I have a whole spreadsheet of – every single transaction that he got off the waiver wire and it's unbelievable mm-hmm. and it's he didn't draft well he didn't make the best trades but some of them were home runs i mean yeah, he exactly. so he i think i think he lost more than he won but it's closer than people want to give him credit for exactly and the thing is is that people still want to argue about Okay, the Jerry Hughes trade, for instance. Oh, that that was that was Doug Whaley, but EJ Manuel. Oh, that that was Buddy Nix, but EJ Manuel was Doug Whaley. Like he really never really had a fair a fair shot, in my opinion. Oh, and, and I mean, and that's that's and something. I mean, he had three years to prove it, and he didn't. And he so. didn't. And he he said that in his interview. He said, "Hey, I just didn't win enough." I didn't yeah. win enough. And, and this what is, I respected the most was when he said it, that my biggest regret was not finding a franchise quarterback earlier. No, he and he said, like I said, he said a lot of things. For those of you out there who want to hear this, I like I said, it's only on SiriusXM NFL Radio. I'm sure you're going to have to subscribe to their service in order to hear it. But you can find a lot of publications that have heard it and have written about it. Go check it out because I think that Doug Whaley did us a lot of, you know, he gave us a lot of lip service on the way out the door, but I don't think it's unfounded. I don't think it's not genuine. I think it's honestly how he feels. And I wish him the best of luck in whatever it is that he does. Yeah. One of those publications is uh, billswire.usatoday.com. Bang! Shameless plug! (laughs) Woo! I'm sorry. I just think that in there. (laughs) Guys, go check it out. Now, as we move on, so billswire.com. This was your first draft as managing editor. <laughs> now, when you imagine all the expectations and the pressure that being an editor for any publication <laughs> brings along with it, I got to ask you, what was it like during that last month and a half? I mean, they fired the GMs. Oh they uh, GM firing and then a new hiring coinciding with that typical just deluge of post-draft information that you guys are being counted on to pump out that's a lot of coverage to try and manage as a small team what was that like it was a tornado to be (laughs) honest i woke up at six in the morning the day of the draft and obviously there was a lot of rumblings about the bills 
probably trying to trade down. My number one, I picked five players. My number one was Tredavious White. I will pat myself on the back for that. But um, then, I mean, it was just planning, really. And that's what made me real get so much respect for these beat writers. I mean, you see guys like that hate Mike Rodak. You get that hate Matt Fairburn, that hate Tim Graham and everything. But until you, you're you doing this and, and Jay Skursky and everything and all these guys that are pumping out content just like that, I mean, it's tough. It really is. Look, watching the draft, um, we had to have probably four or five articles per pick. So once the first round's over, I'm starting my prep for round two, three, four, five, six, seven, the best players available, what needs are left, all that. And it was, it was insanity. And <laughs> like, like I told you, it was my first year doing it. And like that, I learned a lot from it because I was asking like, okay, what's the best, what do you think would be best for this? What would be best for that? What, what do you think people would want to read about this? And, so you were just you know, looking for inspiration from a lot of different places and just trying to source what makes a good article. And you did, would you is it fair to say that you learned a lot about what it is to write on the fly? Just on the fly, you got to scramble. We have to do this. This has to come out now. But when when but, they but as we're writing, we're already Jones, planning for what's next. We had to have when they traded up for Zay Jones. We had to have three. We had three articles up. By the time those were published, Deion Dawkins was drafted. <laughs> so, so it was it was it was a very interesting interesting weekend. We had sixty six articles posted in three days. Wow! And it was, but I mean, I learned a lot, and I'm and I'm grateful for it, and I'm thankful for the opportunity that they gave me. So. Mm-hmm. So now after the draft, are things starting to finally kind of slow down for you guys, maybe giving you something of a breather? Monday, I laid in my bed and just played, <laughs> played NBA 2K all day. I'm not going to lie. No, you don't need to lie. Be honest, brother. That's what we have you on here for. I mean, I just poured a beer on my buddy's kitchen floor over Cyrus Quanjo. <laughs> We're all being honest here. We're- yeah, no, it was it – was- just the draft, it was it's just it's so much. Like if you're watching as a casual fan, apparent as opposed to uh somebody that you have to have X amount, X amount of of content. Mm-hmm. It's completely different. So oh, yeah, no. I'm I'm I finally finished the article about Zay Jones. I look up at my TV, oh the Buffalo Bills have traded up for Deion Dawkins. Back to work. Just oh, right back goodness. to the grindstone. <laughs> Well, not to give you flashbacks, but we are going to wrap up our, you know, the Rock Pal Report podcast, Bill's Draft Recap. You are my possession. First and foremost, I want to give a big shout out to our former guest, Dean Kandig from DraftTech.com. After our discussion two weeks ago about Zay Jones and Deion Dawkins, he was kind enough to provide me with all of his scouting notes on our the next two draft picks that we're about to discuss. And I've got to say, it was a wealth of information, and it's really helped me kind of come to terms as we review these picks. Now, when it comes to player analysis, as many of our listeners know, I was down on a number of our selections this year. You know, I, 
Who, I, if you don't mind me asking? Well, I saw this. I personally, if I'm not if if I'm not speaking on a turn, and Rob, I know you're you know you're just kind of coming in here at the end. I viewed this draft as a failure, and yet I look at all the pundits telling us that we won the draft, or not won, but that we did very well. People seem happy about this, and I couldn't understand why. Who? Well, and so I'll tell you. I found that discussing our draft picks with other informed individuals has kind of helped me feel better about the way things turned out. And I'm hoping that, Rob, I'm hoping that you can do the same thing for me here with our final two picks. I, I have mean, all of our advanced stats right here. First, so first and foremost, I, I didn't like the trade back for Tredavious White. I thought Kevin King would be a better fit for a zone defense. I, you that, might wait. Wait, then, wait, wait, wait. You like the trade back. I like the trade back. You don't like that we took But I don't like the Tredavious. pick of the player. Right, and I so think that people like have a, a hard time. Well, well, Rob, one of the things that I have a, a hard time with is that. Because he I, went to LSU. I feel like, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with LSU. <laughs> yes, it does. That's cornerback you. DBs come out of there all day that can play. What, what I have a problem with is that a lot of fans look at that trade back and they say, okay, well, here's the trade back for a player oh, well, look, we got this extra pick plus this player. No, the pick of the player is mutually exclusive from the draft capital that you gain from trading back for him. I think that in a zone defense, Tredavious White doesn't tackle enough, and he's not big enough. I think Kevin King, with his wingspan and everything that he brings to the team. He missed five tackles last year, allowed a 42.6% completion percentage, (laughs) a 61 quarterback rating when targeted, on contested catches, he allowed three of 24 to be caught. He was targeted every 6.6 times and allowed a rushing every 15.4 of those targets. Okay, so, well, let, well, how about this then? We could have drafted Ruben Foster. I didn't want to scream into the microphone. I'm sorry. I'm still angry about it. We could have had the best weak side linebacker prospect in the draft, and we passed him up. He drank too much water, man. I drank too, he drank too much water. So, in any event... Talking about all these prospects, Zay Jones, I, I was like, he's not explosive. He's a catch-and-drop receiver. You know, he's not a yards-after-the-catch guy, which is supposed to be what a West Coast offense is about. But that's your slot. And and so then Deion Dawkins, I had a big problem with him because I was like, oh, well, who, what is he? Is he a guard? Is he a tackle? He's not. Uh, that, that, so, all right. So, no, okay, okay, so well, I'll say this. After talking with a lot of the draft experts that we had on, or at least so, uh, like Dean Kindig, that guy killed it. He works for DraftTech.com. He does a lot of freelance stuff. He's a great guy. He killed it. By the end of that conversation, he won me over. I said, okay, I'm no longer calling these both of these picks C minuses. I'm going to move them up to a A C. I said, I'm going to move them up to B minuses with the potential to be a C if they don't pan out. I have a B plus with a hopefully A minus on this draft, but Nathan Peterman had the the grade down. So but now, I mean, you—that uh, was the bit. My biggest thing was wondering about Deion Dawkins because he started four years at left tackle, mm-hmm. right? He but allowed then, seven. He allowed nine pressures last year. But if you look at the Three way came he came in one game, he had thirty-five inch arms. He's massive. He's the, he's the <laughs> sixth most athletic. If you know anything about Spark, the Nike oh, uh, yep. metric for athleticism, yep, number six in the class. And I just don't understand why he's he, he was even being considered as a guard. 
That's that, that's my thing. <laughs> I, I, I almost feel like afterwards, after talking to Dean and really seeing what was put out there as far as his metrics, I'm like, so this looks like a Cordy Glenn situation where you're yeah. like, oh, no, he's a guard until your pick comes up. And then you're like, oh, shit, he's yeah. a tackle. We just ha, got a screw tackle. Screw you guys. Uh-huh. Screw you guys. I'll see you in hell. So now that we're here at the end of the draft, there's two players that the Bills took at the end of the draft that we haven't broken down and discussed yet. And the first one is kind of it's intriguing because you have kind of a, t- a story behind this. Pick number 163 in the fifth round, Matt Milano. Now, Matt Milano, by all accounts, he's I mean, these are Dean's stats. These are he's a solid player. He had a lot of production. A total of 140 tackles, 32.5 tackles for a loss, and 14 sacks, six passes defended, two forced fumbles, five fumble recoveries, one pick. That's his entire collegiate career. I the, the 32.5 tackles for a loss impresses me, given his size. He's a converted safety. I mean, he looks like he's got the speed necessary to project as a will linebacker when you go into a nickel formation. Kind of like a Shaq Thompson. I can almost see why he was drafted where he was because, you know, McDermott looks at the defense and he says, hey, I don't have that hybrid safety linebacker. Well, I'll go get one. This kid was incredibly productive in the ACC. I can find him. Matt Milano, solid form tackling ability. Hits with authority on contact, according to every draft pundit out there. Now, he was an all-ACC first-team performer for his work, not only on defense, but also on special teams, which gives him versatility. Who do we know who always looks for players, Chris, with versatility? Oh, that's right, Bill Belichick. I mean, you look at pro football focus. Reggie Ragland and Matt Milano were the two most highly rated NCAA linebackers in 2015. And pro football focus also recognized Milano in a piece discussing elite players on non-competitive teams, stating that he was one of the most complete defensive players in the ACC heading into 2016. Rob... What is your take on this guy? And I got to ask, I saw it. You and uh, John Waro from the AP were trading a little bit of rubber out there, to, to borrow a NASCAR term. You guys yeah, were trading I mean, some I paint. Didn't, I didn't understand. Rubber? I mean, you come out after the draft pick, and you get your little five minutes to explain the reasoning behind the pick, and then you go back in the room, right? Yep. Jerry Sullivan asked three times about Doug Whaley. So well, I that's because he's a fucking hack. I swear to God, nothing would make me happier. Oh, I, I shouldn't even on. say it. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> that so guy's I an said, ass. I said, he deserves this isn't the time or place. Ask about, Matt, ask about Milano. So for a week, at all hours of the night, I'm getting tweets from John Waro asking about whether he should ask about Milano when Brandon Bean's hired, when this, when Doug Whaley gets fired, I'm like, you're missing the complete point. He has five minutes to go back in the war room before he makes another pick. So Ask about him. That's all I'm going to say about John Waro because I'm not. I'm I will say, Rob, I will say this. John Waro is a guy that I, I respect. I respect a lot I of his. I respect him as well. I respect and, a lot of his writing. A, because you must have misunderstood what I said or something. <laughs> you had some, I don't know some what legitimate was going Twitter on. beef my about it. Was going off it was kind of funny. Morning. I still don't understand how Twitter beef works because I've never. I I don't. Me I neither. Just, I just don't fight with trolls, and I don't 
troll anybody else. So I don't know. I just how- felt like I had to respond because it was <laughs> it was four in the morning and he's tweeting me asking me whether he should ask Brandon Bean about Brandon about Matt Milano. Well, so now I'm asking you about Matt Milano. What are your right. thoughts on this player? I mean, my my take on him. You know, we just talked about his statistics and everything, all of his accolades. I mean, the knock on him seems to be that as a strong safety converted to linebacker, a lot of people think that he just doesn't have the size to be an every down starter in the NFL. I don't you know? think he does either. He's He needs to put on a little bit of weight. He's in the 220s. He's number 76, according to Pro Football Focus and run stop percentage. He played a lot of um, Sam linebacker, which was out of position, so that could be on Boston College. Mm-hmm. We. Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier could obviously put him in a different situation. I like what you put, what you mentioned about Shaq, about Shaq Thompson, yep. um, using him in that type of role, even in nickel and dime packages. I don't yep. think that he's going to get a lot of snaps this season. Just, I think he's going to be more of a special teamer as he learns. But I do think that he'll be on the field at times when we're playing teams like the Patriots and the Saints, who are playing um, with that spread offense where he can use his speed. And another thing, he's number 28 out of 110 in tackle efficiency. Yeah, he no no, he hits that that's been one of the biggest things that boosted his draft yeah. stock is the fact that he is a very not only is he a very willing tackler, but he doesn't for for having a small size. For having a small size, he fights through traffic and gets through those he he knifes he, he knifes, knifes through, through traffic and he finds a way to make tackles. Yeah, and so what I what I walk away from all this with, and I'm going to get your take in a second here, but my take personally, ultimately, I think last season showed. I, I mean, how badly we missed Marcus Easley after that gruesome knee injury. Yeah, our special teams units suffered across the board and forced guys like Lorenzo Alexander had to play a ton of special team snaps. I don't want to see one of my premier defensive players. Suffer another one of those injuries. Well, I don't want to see him out there on special teams and then have to come back after he just covered a punt and try to play defense. I'm tired of that. Well, we're talking about Milano. One of the big things that every every draft pundit had to say about him was that he was going to be a killer special teams player at the NFL level. He had three block punts last season. That that just shows that he has an ability to fight through traffic and get it get a hand on the ball. And that's a unique trait. That is. Not- yeah, it really is, for, especially for a guy his size, because you're talking about a smaller guy who shouldn't be able to fight through blocks, but he He's does. He's not KJ Wright leapfrogging <laughs> over somebody like exactly. we saw last year with the Seahawks and Cardinals. I mean, that's technique. And I, mean, I think that with I watched him and I watched him miss a lot of tackles and because Rich Fan, one of our our writers, told me that I needed to watch him the first game I saw. Within the first three minutes, he missed four tackles and got pancaked three times. And I was like, dude, are you serious? <laughs> and then after watching like three more games, I was like, oh, this, yeah, this, this guy dude, can play. This just dude can actually I play. I want to see what, like, what is he? Yeah. But well, I'll say this. Which is what I'm interested to see how McDermott wants to use him because we saw him draft Shaq Thompson for that same exact reason. I'll say this. He, he smacks to me of a guy who's a low-risk selection because you took him Sorry. in the fifth round. Fifth round. But he's got the possibility for a larger role as he learns the NFL game. He strikes me as a guy like Mark Hurdlich from the uh, New York Giants. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a linebacker who can come in, maybe start for you if you really need somebody to. Yeah, play 30 snaps a game, yeah. something like that, and make an impact. But he can come in and make a couple plays, and he will definitely be an impact special teamer with his speed and with his just with his ability to get his hands on the ball. Mm-hmm. I think that if he can come in and provide a spark to the special teams unit and give us a little bit of insurance depth at linebacker, I'm I'm a lot higher on this selection now than I was on draft day. Yeah, and I think that if I he totally ever grows agree. into a larger role with the team, then it's like it's like found money. Because you yeah. spent a fifth and, round pick and it's out. A, the people are like, oh, Matt Milano, they just drafted a linebacker <laughs> in the fifth round. What's going on? It's like, okay, they're building the foundation for the future. I feel like people are expecting playoffs this year when it, it's a whole, it's a brand new team, essentially, and a front office. So then the next pick, I, so I guess like we, we got to get to our final grades first off. So what would you grade this pick if you had to give it a letter grade? Milano? Yeah. Um, honestly, it's tough because we don't know how he's being used, but I would say probably like a C plus. I gave him a C plus to a B minus, and the yeah, B minus yeah, is contingent you, you on him. To a B. Well, him but my thing is it, it this is contingent not even on him earning starter time. Yeah. It's contingent if he comes out and somehow wins a starting job, I'll call this an A and I'll kiss Chris on the mouth. <laughs> But it, I call it a B minus. This, be this better be on the video. <laughs> oh, oh, well, oh, it'll be uh, it'll be publicized. A C plus to a B minus. Just if he if he can be an impact special teams player because last year our special teams unit was one of the worst in the NFL. Don't forget, Rob, we had a sixty five yard onside kick against the Jets. <laughs> he brings that up every single time we talk about special oh, teams. Oh, I remember that. You just love you. You just love just popping in and, and just <laughs> destroying my childhood and everything, <laughs> everything my, you're happy about. When, whenever you feel good about something, just trust that Chris will be there to drop yeah. the bomb on it. <laughs> so moving on to pick number 191, the final Bills pick in the NFL draft, Tanner Vallejo. Wow, I've never heard of you before. <laughs> A four-year starter out of Boise State. His last two seasons were just completely shot by injuries. But he was dominant in his sophomore year of college. As a sophomore, posted an overall grade, according to Pro Football Focus, of 93.1. And it was the second highest among all, all D1 football linebackers. Okay? He's athletic enough to handle covered two drops. He's got a lot of speed. You know, he can play that will, that nickel spot. And Sam. And one of the, I think one of the most intriguing statistics that was brought to my attention is that his average yards per catch when he was in pass coverage was under six yards per catch in seven it of nine a, games It was played. exactly six, and he allowed one 20-yard catch in his career. But what's crazier to me, he allowed a 70% completion percentage. So that means as soon as someone catches the ball, you're down. No, you're down. You're, you'll catch it, but you're not going anywhere. Yeah. He it's will not stop Paul Paz Lesney. And that's all. Oh, that was my biggest bitch about Paul Pazuzny is that he would he would make the tackle. You're right. He had great tackle numbers, but he'd tackle you six yards down the field, seven yards, eight yards down the field, eighty. So I go on Getty Images, and it's just like Paul Pazuzny. You see the back. You see his name nameplate in his jersey, and yeah. If you're seeing the, the if you're seeing the linebacker's name and number on TV, it's a bad time. Yeah. So then he had plenty. He had a ton of accolades when he was healthy. He led mm-hmm. the teams in he led the team in tackles as a sophomore with 100 takedowns. 
16 and a half for a loss in a single season. Three sacks, one interception, and four pass breakups. He was also the most valuable player in the Mountain West Conference Championship game. 13 tackles and a pick returned for a touchdown. I, I mean, it's just the guy is an incredible talent when he's healthy. That's my takeaway from this pick. And Tanner, his wrist injuries. Tanner Vallejo is a guy who's got wrist injuries. He's had, he's had, what would you say, Rob? Two or three different what you would consider critical injuries for a linebacker. Yet he keeps coming back and playing. Probably now, one, two. Well, nah, I, I view the lower body one as that, that's, that's yeah. A oh yeah, I forgot about the lower body one. You you hurt your any kind of knee or ankle injury as a linebacker. Yeah. There's but today's no, today's medical is is different. But eh. at the same time, I don't know. It could I'm rob not, you of some of that speed. It could rob you of some of that aggression when you're trying to make a tackle. That's what, what, else? that's what I brought up about the sand because I think in those under fronts that you could put him on the line of scrimmage and he could still have those tackles for loss as he did before because mm-hmm. at, if you if you see him at Boise State, he played weak side, he played in dime, he played in nickel, he played in sand. Man, so I just look at this though, and I say, okay, they took their last pick and they threw up a hail mary. Yeah, they took a shot on a player who, if he's healthy, he sounds an awful lot like he could be a dominant linebacker in the NFL and play special teams and play special teams. But the key is being healthy. Yeah. Now, the only reason I feel good about this pick is because there was another linebacker that kind of fit a similar mold to Vallejo, and that was Alex Anzalone. Uh, he was I am a, not a fan. Uh, he was a linebacker out of Florida. I think, and I, who, think he, I, think he, I think his career is over before Vallejo's with his injuries. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that, but here's what I I'll will, say. Vallejo, a, I well, hate the Gators. I'm about <laughs> you, the U, baby. You hate the Gators? You're all about the U. Well, I'll tell you. What I noticed about Anzalone is that he's a guy who was drafted in, what, the third round? He was a third yeah, or fourth round linebacker? because of athleticism. Athlet, pure athleticism, and they, but they said, oh, hey, he's not a first-round pick because of his injury history. Yeah, Tanner Vallejo should have been— like 17 times. He's fine. <laughs> Tanner Vallejo should have been a, at least a third or fourth-round pick, mm-hmm. but his injury history sunk him all the way to the sixth round. If he can stay healthy, which I mean, as a Bills player, we can't really bank on. But if he can, but if he can stay healthy, he could have the upside more so than a Matt Milano. He could have the upside of, I don't know, the same That's thing as an Angelo field and not in sub packages. Exactly. Like it's, it's. I will say that after reviewing all the information, my knee jerk reaction was I hated this pick. I was like, okay, so they drafted two throwaway linebackers who won't make the roster. After really reviewing who they are, getting into their statistics, I feel like these were both solid picks. I think that you've not only given us depth on special teams, but you've bought you've brought speed, aggression, and athleticism. And competition. And those two final A's are probably the most important to me when I yeah. look at football players. I want aggression and I want I I, I want to know that you are going to be a guy who goes out there and you you're fighting every day. Exactly. You know and that you're fighting for a job and you take it seriously. These guys are Ramon Humber should not be sleeping in bed on a <laughs> on a orthopedic pillow thinking that he's ready to play serious snaps. Oh yeah, no, I I've got this. No, man. he's he's got some serious challenge. 
I mean, I, I think that these draft picks have given us enough special teams depth, enough roster vers- versatility. <laughs> I, I like this pick, too. I give it probably the same grade I gave the last one. I kind of want to rate it higher, but I, I guess I can't justify that because it was a six-round pick. So I'm going to call this pick a C plus. What were you? What do you grade it, Rob? Probably like a C minus. I mean, this is a six round pick. You never know. Yeah, you he, never know. He could be Richard Sherman, or he could be. Uh, <laughs> he could be another uh, Tank Carter, who we yeah, never hear exactly. from again. <laughs> so oh. you, you never know with those late rounders. What I found interesting was with this whole draft was Sean McDermott's character. He's not playing games. Nope. That. He's looking every for guys who want to show up and work every day. Every single draft pick was a senior, played all four years. Oh, no, at least 44 games, except for Nate Peterman, because he had to transfer when he couldn't beat out Josh Dobbs. Um, and they were either a captain, an MVP, or a letterman and have no off-the-field issues. So it, it's interesting. I mean, it's a, it's. I like the draft. I mean, on paper, we need to see it on the field. Obviously, of course, we we lo- we love to love every Bills draft pick. But at the same time, I mean, they're building a foundation. They have depth. They have stability in the front office, hopefully. And there's nothing more you can really ask for. Mm-hmm. No, and you're right. They hit this. They, they I upon further review for everyone here who follows. For everyone who's still listening and hasn't turned us off, I've changed my mind on this draft. My mind has been like, – like I said, I'm always open to outside influences, outside yeah. uh, you know, you know, conversation. I yeah. learn as I go along. I make a knee-jerk reaction. I, I am the king of knee-jerk reactions that will tear an ACL. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm not above listening to outside opinions and letting that shape how I feel. That's the only reason you you can't be a um, jerk on <laughs> on social media. Well, I can be. Oh, and I will be. So no, I, p- I, people have already found that out. Oh, no, no. I Rob, just, you I are keep it clean here. Well, Rob, <laughs> you are a fucking professional, and I I appreciate you joining us tonight to go over all this stuff. Obviously, you love this draft, and you it seems like you have a positive kind of attitude heading into the off season program and into the next season. So you I know, can't. I'm wearing, dude, I'm wearing a Peerless Price jersey right now. <laughs> I, I, they better. They, they better. They better not let me down. Oh man! So as we get out one Bills drive and print out every single article I've written and said and say hire me. <laughs> so as we head out of here tonight, Rob, where can our followers find you on Twitter, Instagram, and where can they find your cruise writing? Why don't you tell us? Um, on Twitter, you can find me at Rob Quinn six one nine or at the Bills Wire. We have probably like seven articles a day that will clog your news feed, but <laughs> they're all good stuff. Um, we have an awesome team: Kyle Salagi, Rich Fan, Robin Mundy, Chrissy Freud, Cole Shelton. Um, on Instagram, I'm on private, so you gotta add Rob Quinn, and if I like you, then I'll accept you. Basically, what he's saying is if you're hot, he'll let you in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. Rob, you're on your way to being a local celebrity, Rob. Don't worry. You're you're working it. You're working it. I love the stuff you guys are doing over there. So, Thank you. Chris, 
at Rockpile Report on Twitter. What is it? The Rockpile Report on Bill's underscore Astro for Dean Kindig from DraftTech.com. Yeah, sure him. He knows his he That knows guy, his stuff. he is a wealth of information. Anybody he's, out there who has draft questions, he's your guy. And for the Bill's Wire podcast, again, they can find it on Inst- you can find it on iTunes or SoundCloud apparently. Just don't make fun of me yet. I'm getting better. <laughs> Guys, why don't you give him some listens, throw him a little constructive criticism, and see what he thinks. Don't be too yeah. hard on my boy Rob. Yeah, no, be hard on me. Tell me what I need to do. I'm going to do it for you. Guys, we got to get out of here. I've had a lot of fun tonight. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Rob Quinn. And this has been the Rockpile Report.